So many things are called gospel that are not actually the gospel. Hello and welcome to The Pactum. I'm Pat Abendroth. And on today's episode, we will be talking about things that are not the gospel, but are sometimes thought to be the gospel. This is episode 155, and let's call it Not the Gospel. Pactum co-host Mike Grimes is not with us for Not the Gospel, so it is a Lone Ranger edition. A fiery horse with the speed of light, a cloud of dust, and a hearty high silver. The Lone Ranger. Before we get into the meat of things today, let me say thank you for listening, thank you for sharing the Pactum with others, and thank you for those great ratings. If you've never rated the Pactum, please do. If you have already, I think you can do it again. And it helps people. It will help us because it makes us encouraged. But also it helps people to find the Pactum easier. So here, great teaching and discussion. Five stars. And then the listener goes on to say, love these men and their passion for reform theology. I especially appreciate Pat's ability to couch questions in such a way as to elicit answers that any listener can appreciate. And I appreciate the appreciation. So today what we're doing is we're following up our series that was called Vital Gospel Doctrines. We talked about the life of Christ, death, resurrection, ascension, and other things, but these things that are vital because if the gospel is of first importance and we know that it is, read 1 Corinthians 15, well, then we'd better know what the vital doctrines are that we must have if we're going to have the good news of salvation in Jesus. What we want to do today is talk about things that are true and good and right, but are not the gospel and sometimes end up being confused with the gospel. So we'll talk about everything from the golden rule to the Bible itself, to prosperity, uh, doing good in Jesus name. I think I have a baker's dozen or so uh, with a list here of non-gospel items that might be thought of as the gospel, probably because they are important. Number one is the golden rule. The golden rule is, well, we should just say it's golden. It is pactum approved. Jesus says in Matthew chapter seven, verse 12, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Is that true? Yes. Is it right? Yes. Is it good? Absolutely. Is it the good news? Uh, Absolutely not. Because it's not gospel, it's actually law. It's not what God graciously provides through his son, it's what he requires. We talk a lot about the law on the pactum, and we talk a lot about the gospel. Both are really important, but they're not the same thing, and they shouldn't be mixed. So check out episode 100, 103, 122, and I could go on and on, because it is an important matter, it's an often misunderstood matter, and so... You can check those out if you need to be brought up to speed. And speaking of God's law and what he requires, this is a good time for me to mention that the 2024 Pactum Conference theme is God's good law. And we would love to have you in Omaha, Nebraska for that. We did the 23 conference, which was you know, a rush. It was great. We had a great turnout and a great time together. And so we'd love to have you join us. This next one will be October 11th and 12th, Omaha, Nebraska. You can check out the website for details about the conference. So let's move on to the next one. And the next not the gospel item would be love for God. 
Is it true that we should love God? Yes. In fact, it should actually be number one on our list because it logically comes first. So really, we talked about the golden rule. We're talking about love for neighbor. Well, even before that, we have love for God, the creator, which is vital, which is good, but it's not good news. So if we go to Deuteronomy chapter six, the quintessential, the vital text when it comes to this, the standout text, even though there are other texts from Genesis to Revelation that talk about our need to love God, Deuteronomy six is the classic one. So listen to what it, what it says in verse, verse four. Hear, O Israel. It's called the Shema because of the, the first Hebrew word. Hear, listen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. True statement, wonderful statement, amazing statement, and there are implications. Verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I have commanded you today shall be on your heart. These are vital. These are important. This is your obligation. This is good, but it's not good news. It's law. It's what God requires. We know that it is. We know that it is from that text. We know that that's what it is and what it means from Jesus in Matthew chapter 25 verses 35 to 38. So the law is good. The law is righteous, but the law is not the gospel. And so we can't say that it is. We need to keep the two distinct. Both are vital but they are distinct. One teacher who's growing in popularity lately, at least in some circles, would be Doug Wilson. And Doug Wilson says something that should trouble any of you, and hopefully this does trouble you, when he says we don't divide it up into law and gospel. How about that? We don't do that, he says. When we don't say law over here, gospel over there, when we say it's all gospel, it's all law. Then he says, it's all good. I couldn't disagree more. And classic traditional Protestantism, not to mention biblical Christianity, couldn't disagree more. Yes, love for God is true, vital, good, but it is not good news. The good news is regarding Jesus and what he accomplishes because we're not good at loving God as we should, not to mention loving neighbor. Let's move to the next not, not the gospel item that sometimes is blurred into or called the gospel, and that would be number three, truth. Is truth good? Yes. Is truth beautiful? Yes. Is the Bible true? Absolutely. Is all of it true? Absolutely. But is all of it gospel? No, it's not. Now, sometimes in, in um, popular sayings, we might say, oh, that's gospel truth. And what we mean by that is it's completely true. Okay, I, I kind of like that uh, because there are some, some things that are completely true. And if people say it's gospel truth, I like that because they're saying that's as true as the gospel is. Okay, fine. But not everything that is true is gospel truth. Let's, let's go for a big one. How about the Bible? Is the Bible true? Absolutely, it's true. Uh, we call it the good book. Okay, but you know what? It's not all good news, even if it's the good book. It's all true, but it's not all good news. And that's because the Bible is filled with commands. We've just looked at some of them. It's also filled with gracious promises. 
but we need to see the distinction. We need to know about both of them, but they're not the same thing. And so we've got to keep that in mind. The Bible is amazing. It's important. It's awesome. I want to preach every word of it and believe every word of it. Yes, but we must keep in mind that just because something is true doesn't mean it's gospel. The next not the gospel item is justice. Justice is good. Justice, it's it's fairness. And there's a lot of talk about justice these days. Uh, people, you know, on the, the, the left-hand side of the spectrum, they want to say, you know, social justice. Unfortunately, so many times social justice is anything but just. It ends up being some kind of, you know, Marxist kind of uh, idea. Well, we should do it. By the way, we should do an episode on Marxism sometime, but we won't do it right here. But social justice, they, they like to talk about justice. They like to quote Micah 6.8. But then you go to the far right and uh, you, you have people that want to transform the culture and make everything change and have all governments be Christian governments and all of these sort of things. Supposedly, they like Micah 6.8 as well. Uh, I like, uh, you know, they're, they're better off, but they're still mistaken. Um, when they somehow preach justice, the right kind or the wrong kind, but they preach it in such a way as if it's the gospel. And, and through the fact of the matter is it's not. Micah 6, 8 says, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. That is absolutely true. Absolutely true. I can totally get behind it. We should take it to heart, but it is for sure law. Yes, I wish people did the right thing. I wish there was perfect fairness, but that's not the gospel. The gospel comes to us as good news regarding Christ because none of us uh, has been successful in doing Micah 6.8 the way God would require. And we have to keep that in mind. And then what we do and we have to know is when when we're in Christ and Christ has done Micah 6.8 perfectly, we, we want to do that out of gratitude. We do want to pursue things like justice, fairness in the world. We absolutely do. But let's keep keep it in mind and let's be clear that Micah 6.8 is not a gospel verse. It is a Law verse. The next not the gospel item is faith. Faith means trust. To, to believe in Jesus is to trust in Jesus, um, to be resting in his work on your behalf. And it is vital. Yes, please hear us loud and clear. It is vital that you believe in Jesus. It is vital that you uh, are justified by faith. Yes, Absolutely, Romans one seventeen. That's true. Romans one sixteen for the gospel to everyone who believes. Yes, 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 yes. But having said that, we must keep in mind that faith isn't the gospel. Faith is the right response to the gospel, but it is not the gospel itself. Faith is not the gospel itself. Graham Goldsworthy in his helpful book. Gospel-Centered Hermeneutics says this, If something is not what God did in and through the historical Jesus 2,000 years ago, it is not the gospel. Graham Goldsworthy is not discouraging people from believing in Jesus. He's just having the category straight. The gospel is the good news about Jesus and what he has accomplished. The right response is to trust in him, to believe in him. The right response is 
faith in Christ for justification, for salvation. A similar one, number six on our list, we're doing 13 of these uh, items, these not the gospel items. And the next one we'll do real quickly, and it's repentance. Is repentance biblical? Yes. Is repentance important? Absolutely. Is repentance the gospel? Absolutely not. Okay. Repentance is not the gospel. And don't, don't, don't hear me saying something different than I'm saying. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm saying that it is, but repentance is not the gospel. Okay. Any more than faith is the gospel. It is a response. And so keep that in mind. The next, not the gospel item is something lived. And what I mean by that is the gospel is not something that we do. The gospel is not something that we live. So when you hear people say live the gospel, I hope what they mean is live in light of the gospel. And then we would say, oh, well, that's true. It's important to live in light of the gospel. It's important to live a different kind of life because of what Jesus did for me. But no one has ever lived the gospel other than the good one himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have to keep our minds on straight here regarding this. Goldsworthy again says, only Jesus lived and died the gospel. It is a once for all finished and perfect event done for us by another. Jesus is the only good one. So he's the only one capable of living the gospel, if you will. Pat Abendroth doesn't live the gospel. As a matter of fact, uh, I would never want to have people look at my life and learn the gospel from my life. I hope they see that there's a change. I'm being conformed to the image of Christ, even in practice. But the gospel is the good news about Jesus, who's perfect and perfectly did everything right, fulfilled all righteousness. And if that's the case, then the gospel, you, you, you can't live the gospel. Uh, this is, in fact, why. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by not watching Pat Abendroth's Christian life. No, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And in that context, hearing a herald proclaim the good news about the historic successful Jesus Christ. So keep that in your mind. This is why we are not fond at the Pactum of that quote that allegedly uh, is tied to St. Francis of Assisi because um, it, it just isn't true. When he says, or supposedly he says, uh, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words, we're going to say, no, actually you, you have to use words. Read Romans chapter 10. We want our, our conduct to be good. We don't want to be living gross hypocritical lives, but you have to preach the gospel because you're preaching about Jesus, not preaching about yourself. So I had lunch with a pastor friend not long ago, and we were having an interesting conversation about James, who would be the half brother of Jesus, who wrote the book we call James. And how, you know, he's converted later in life and what it must have been like growing up in, in the home of Mary and Joseph, you know, and we, we jokingly talked about how Mary passed out WWJD bracelets to all the other kids <laughs> because, right, if you think about it, Jesus always did the good. He always did what was right, but he and he alone was the only one who always did what was right. And so we, we cannot live the gospel. We only live in light of the gospel out of gratitude. And with that said, when, when 
you sit down and do a Google search and in quotations put live the gospel. Guess, guess where you are going to be directed. Guess where that's popular. Guess what the number one hit is, at least when I did the search. It's from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints www.churchofjesuschrist.org. It's Mormon. That's Mormon doctrine. It's, it's a basic Mormon teaching. It's from their general handbook called Serving in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Living the gospel encompasses the other aspects of God's work of salvation and exaltation. These include, this is living the gospel for Mormons. Uh, caring for those in need, inviting all to receive the gospel, and uniting families for eternity. And remember, even though they use some of our vocabulary, they mean different things by our vocabulary. But there it is. How, how silly, how dreadful, how scandalous it is that evangelicals talk like Mormons. Um, and I have Mormon friends, and I love them, but they've got this wrong, and we should be clear about that, and we sh- certainly shouldn't be uh, sounding like them. Only Jesus, the good one, did the good things all of the time, and we receive what he's done for us by faith and only by faith. This is why Romans 4 says he justifies the ungodly God does, because the work of Christ is credited to us freely by Faith. Number eight on our list, we have 13 of these. And number eight, our our eighth, not the gospel item, is fruit. Fruit is good. The fruit of being united to Christ by faith, the fruit of being saved, the fruit of regeneration is good, but it's not the good news. It is the result, it is the consequence, it is an evidence, is what it is. Walter Marshall, in his great book, The Gospel Mystery of Sanctification, says this, Though we are not saved by good works as procuring causes, yet we are saved to good works as, here it is, fruits and effects of saving grace, which God has prepared that we should walk in them, Ephesians 2.10. So we are all about fruit. Yes, we want evidence. Yes, absolutely. But let's make sure we understand that fruit is fruit, okay? Fruit is not the gospel. It is the fruit of the gospel. If you will, number nine, the next not the gospel item is doing apparently good things in Jesus' name. Doing apparently good things in Jesus' name is not the gospel, and it will not get you into the kingdom of heaven. And Matthew chapter 7 is the relevant text here. And Matthew, let me just frame it this way and ask you this question. Do you think, if you had to guess, do you think that the gospel is in Matthew chapter 7? I know Matthew chapter 7 is in the gospel account written by Matthew, the disciple. But with that, with that said, do you think the gospel is stated in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23? Seems like a lot of preachers seem to make it sound as if it is. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't think the gospel's in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. What's in those verses is true, but let's take a look at it. Not everyone who says to me, this is Jesus speaking, not everyone who says to me, Lord, 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 will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of the lawlessness. We need to make some observations because if we take those words to heart, Jesus says, I never knew you. Well, he knew about them or he wouldn't be saying what he's saying. He knew a lot about them, but I never knew you in a close, affectionate kind of way. We never had a positive relationship like a family member would have. I never knew you. What is going on? In, in some ways, I think if we're honest and we just look at 21, 22, and 23, it almost seems contradictory. Observation number one, here's why I say this. Only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter the kingdom of heaven. That's according to verse 21. Only the one who does the will of the Father, of his Father who is in heaven, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, that's, that's an important observation. What's the next observation we should make? It's this, doing many apparently good things in Jesus' name does not give entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is without any question teaching that. Doing many apparently good things in Jesus' name even doesn't give entrance into the kingdom of heaven, but it does earn the label from Jesus in verse 23, workers of lawlessness. So they're doing good in Jesus' name. We could at least say apparent good. And Jesus says they're workers of lawlessness. How how do we resolve this? I think we have to resolve it in the context, in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus has already established the requirement for entrance into the kingdom. In our text, the, the way to gain entrance into the kingdom is doing the will of the Father or his Father. Okay, that, that's true. Get behind that. But if we read the Sermon on the Mount, on the Mount holistically, chapter 7 and in the light of chapter 5, what do we know? In verse 20 of chapter 5, we know this. Jesus says, I tell you, unless your righteousness, unless your obedience to God's law, in other words, unless your obedience, unless you're doing the will of my father, that's just synonymous. When he says your righteousness, that's synonymous with doing the will of his father. Unless that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So he's already said the same thing with a little bit different verbiage in chapter 5, verse 20. It is about this matter of righteousness, of legal obedience. People must obey to get into heaven. Chapter 5, verse 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So they must perfectly obey God's law as intended by him, the lawgiver, And guess what will not help with this? What will not help with being around Jesus or doing things in his name as great as that might look? They do. They're with Jesus. They name Jesus. They do apparently good and great things in his name. But you see, hopefully you see this. That's not the requirement. The requirement is perfect righteousness. Read chapter five. Perfect righteousness is the requirement. I don't think there's any gospel in Matthew chapter 7 in the verses we just read. But what is there is what's in chapter 5, and that is 
the requirement, God's strict requirement in the Sermon on the Mount is this is what you must do to gain heaven. And who measures up? No one measures up. And so therefore the whole intent of the whole thing we know is to drive them to Christ. It is not the intent of Matthew seven is not to get people to do more things in Jesus name. They're please see it. They're they're already doing tons of things in Jesus name, but their problem is they're still lawless. They still have not been perfect as God is perfect, which is the requirement. And so Jesus says, I never knew you. It's not, I never knew you because you didn't do enough good things in my name that they were already excelling in that. The problem is they, he never knows them savingly because they've not met the obligation, the requirement, which is perfect righteousness. And that's why chapter 5 or 17 is so good and important. It says this, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus, see, the point of Matthew 7 is to show them their need for Christ, the fulfiller of the legal obligation, the one who obtains it on behalf of everyone who would ever trust in him. So the resolution to the apparent dilemma, and it's not a dilemma, but the resolution is it's found in demanding more apparent good works in Jesus' name? No, but so many Preachers, so many pound of flesh preachers think, well, we can get people into heaven if they do more things in Jesus' name. (laughs) Jesus is teaching, read it. Jesus is teaching the exact opposite. So don't think of Matthew 7, do more, try harder as the gospel. They need to see that they can't do enough or try hard enough because they're sinners. They need to be doers of the law. They can't be. They need to look to Christ. That brings us to number 10. The next, not the gospel item, is cultural transformation. Do we want the culture to be better? Yes, I'm all for it. I'm all for the gospel leading to people's you know, life change, to their thinking to be, for their thinking to be changed so that the culture would be better. That, that does happen. I'm also all for cultural change because of God's common grace, because of natural law, because people doing their vocations. Absolutely. But sometimes people mistake cultural transformation or the call to change the culture for the gospel. And it's not. And this happens on the right, if you will. Uh, Conservatives do this. And it happens on the left. The theological liberals do this. And so let's pick on the liberals first. So it's been called the social gospel because it's not the gospel at all. It's just about changing society. Read J. Gresham Machen's book, Christianity and Liberalism, to learn about this. And they end up rejecting the gospel, but they call social transformation the gospel. And we see this on the right as well with the theonomy types. And if we can just do more, try harder to get people to obey God's law and transform the culture in that way. And before you know it, that's preached as if it's the gospel. 
and that's not helpful at all, at all related to this whole matter is the matter of redeeming the culture. People talk about redeeming the culture when, when in fact, when you read the Bible, you know, Jesus redeems sinners from uh, the slave market of sin and sets them free and, and so on. We've talked about that in our series, but we need to keep in mind we're, we're never called to redeem culture. Uh, we're, we're definitely called salt and light and therefore we want to act like we're salt and light and we want, you know, Babylon to be as good of a Babylon as it can be, if you will, to borrow from first Peter's kind of verbiage, borrowing from the old Testament. Uh, but it's not the gospel. Redemption belongs in a gospel kind of category because of the work of Jesus. It's not something we're doing. Only the Lord Jesus Christ, when he returns is going to truly lastingly, um, bring about the, the, the true cultural transformation that will never end. A good insight to, to all of this really does come from, from Machen, and we'll put it in the show notes, but Christianity and Liberalism is a great read. We are doing 13 of these uh, not-the-gospel items, and number 11 would be spiritual disciplines. I'm for spiritual disciplines, especially the ones that are biblical, um, the ones that are not biblical. I'm not for, um, but the ones that are biblical, like, okay, meditate upon scripture, read, read the Bible, meditate upon the Bible, learn the Bible. That's, that's a good thing. That's, that's actually really important. Uh, prayer. Yes, absolutely. Evangelism, serving stewardship, uh, all of those kinds of things are good. And we want to encourage them as the fruit of the gospel, if you will, and the work of the Spirit in our lives, and they lead to good things, yes. But the spiritual disciplines are not the gospel. So let's just make sure we keep that in mind. So at at, at best, the biblical spiritual disciplines are good, but they come as a result, so don't make them the gospel. And at worst, the ones that are not even biblical requirements, uh, we probably want to get to get rid of altogether. So if someone's trying to get you to do something to grow spiritually that you don't find in the Bible, then we would say that's probably not a good idea. And oftentimes those things are promoted at least originally by groups that somehow made those requirements to gain eternal life. And so in that sense, they make them gospel things when they're not actually gospel things. Number 12, the next, not the gospel item is, I don't know how to say this other than, than everything. Um, sometimes people want to, to somehow make everything that you do in life, the gospel, uh, somehow they want to have everything that you do, uh, on, on an equal footing. Everything is equally important, equally vital. And while I want to take a lot of things in life seriously and be passionate about them, uh, especially biblical things, uh, what ends up happening is when everything is a gospel issue, then it's as if nothing is a gospel issue. It's for good reason. The Bible says the gospel is of first importance. And so there are other maybe good things, but they're not nearly that good. And so let's not make uh, everything a gospel issue when in fact, because in fact, not everything is a gospel issue. There are secondary issues uh, that are not necessarily gospel issues. And finally, let's do this and wrap things up. The final, not the gospel item would be prosperity. And I would imagine that most of you who listen to the Pactum uh, already have this clear in your mind, and it's not something that confuses you, but you know, and hopefully you're, you can be a good missionary, um, that the prosperity gospel, as it is called, is 
not true. It's not healthy. It's not helpful. Uh, the gospel doesn't guarantee health, wealth, and prosperity in this life. Now, that, that's what Kenneth Copeland would promote or Benny Hinn or Joel Olstein or T.D. Jakes or John Hagee or Creflo Dollar, Paula White, Joyce Meyer, etc. Um, they're not telling the truth. And they go to the doctor and they get sick and they're, each of them will have funerals. And so they're, they're not even believable unbelievers, even though they're not believable. Unfortunately, oftentimes Christians are super gullible, but prosperity is not the gospel. Okay. The, the, the prosperity gospel is a, is a lie. It is not true. Um, yes, we will have perfect health one day. Yes, we will have perfect wealth one day because uh, of uh, we're heirs, we're joint heirs with Christ, right? We will inherit everything. Uh, not only that, prosperity will go with that. Absolutely, we would affirm all of those things, but not in this life. And uh, if anybody's just being honest, we know these things are not ours. They, they, don't, they are ours in Christ, but we don't experience them in the here and now. Uh, we're longing for the day when Christ returns and then there will be no more tears because there will be no more sickness. There will be no more death. Uh, and so we think it's important. Health is important. Wealth is important. Prosperity is important. And those things do come to us but not the way that Joel Osteen teaches or any of these other false teachers is what they end up being because they say that the gospel gives these things and it actually does not. So if you're interested in following up on these items, Machen's book is a jewel. It's now over 100 years old. It's a great read. Check it out if you haven't done so already. If you want a contemporary kind of version of it, one of my favorite books we promote a lot on the Pactum would be Christless. Christianity by Michael Horton. So two great resources. We've also talked about the gospel mystery of sanctification, uh, another great old book that is super helpful. We've also talked about the writings of Graham Goldsworthy. Uh, he's helpful regarding these matters as well. If you want to be in touch with us, check out our website, thepactum.org, or we're on X at The Pactum, Instagram at The Pactum Theology. You can also email us at connect at thepactum.org. It has been an honor to be your host today. Thank you for listening to the episode. We'll see you next time on The Pactum.